All right, Graham. Graham. Oh, hang on, hang on. Oh, Dave's, coming. Dave's coming in. I'm on the Wikipedia yes. for BattleBots, and it says BattleBots. Who mentioned Battle... oh. Shut up, Graham. It says BattleBots <laughs> is an American robot combat television series. The show was an adaptation of the American Robot Wars competitions. The same competition inspired the British TV program Robot Wars, <laughs> which acquired the name in 1995. Game, set, and match. Where's your citations? I'll send you the link. Just go to go to Wikipedia and look up BattleBots. <laughs> oh, Wikipedia. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah, that's I'm editing the Wikipedia page now. <laughs> Smashing Security, episode 317. Another Uber Snafu, an AI chatbot quiz. And is Juice Jacking genuine? With Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 317. My name is Graham Cluley. Forget that. <laughs> and I'm Carol Terrio. Forget what? Your name? Well, it's because I almost said my number, because we were just <laughs> discussing with our special guest whether 317 is a prime number or not. And they knew and it was. They <laughs> did. And it is, of course, the CyberWire's Dave Bittner. Hello, Dave. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. It's always fun to be here. Oh, we're very glad to have you. Uh, any yeah. news to uh, spout before I uh, get on with the show? Mm, no, same old, same old, usual stuff. <laughs> I love having regulars. Before we kick off, let's thank this week's sponsors, Bitwarden, Collide, and HCAPTCHA. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Beep, beep. I'm going to be reporting on another Uber breach. Ooh, and what about you, Dave? I have a questionable warning from the FBI. Ooh, and I have an AI quiz show. All this much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. I love a quiz. I love a quiz. Now, chums, chums, headline news, breaking news. Another company has suffered a data breach. Yes, I know. I'm as shocked as you. It is always a surprise when it happens, isn't it? Mm hmm. No. Well, no, it's not really. No, it's not. <laughs> and it's particularly not headline news when it's Uber, the world's largest ride sharing company, because mm -hmm. they've almost got it written into their mission statement that they will have data breaches. They seem to get their data breach time and time and time again. And hmm. it's not such a big How headline. many have they had, really, though? Well, over the last six months, it's reckoned they've had about three data breaches, Whoa. at least three which they've owned up to so far. Um, <laughs> so possibly more, at least three in the last six months. Yeah. And, yeah. and there have been big data breaches at Uber in the past. Uh, regular listeners will remember that Joe Sullivan, who was their chief of securities, also had similar jobs at Facebook and Cloudflare. Yep. He was convicted of covering up a data breach involving 57 million customers and Uber driver records. Uh, he also concealed a ransom payment as a bug bounty to hide that they'd been hacked. He falsified non-disclosure agreements with the hackers. He's currently awaiting sentencing. That was one hack they suffered. Uh, more recently, the Lapsus Gang, they accessed Uber's critical IT infrastructure, all kinds of bits and bobs, hijacked their Google Suite account, downloaded Slack messages, and generally embarrassed the company. So it's not that rare for Uber to suffer a data breach. But they did get a new CEO who said, we are now going to take security super seriously. Right. Your privacy is important to us. 
Okay, when was that? <laughs> About two years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, well. Maybe, maybe this is super serious. As, as, like I said, they've only had three data breaches they've owned up to in the last six months. So may, maybe things have improved dramatically. Who knows? However, this time, this time things are different. This time, the hack didn't take place at Uber itself. This time, it was at a law firm that Uber uses. Interesting. Genova Burns. Genova hmm. Burns. Genova Burns. Is that with one person? Or? Well, well it was like, like Montgomery Burns. It's, Burns is a weird name to put, it is. isn't it, in a law firm? <laughs> Burns. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess it's someone's surname. I don't know. No, but you know, like the toilet was invented by someone called Mr. Crapper, right? Was it? Was it really? <laughs> yes. Well, they invented a uh, toilet. I think that's mythical. And I don't think the bra was invented by Otto Titzling either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, anyway, uh, Genova Burns has just sent, moving on, has just sent a letter to Uber drivers warning them that their data has been accessed by hackers because the law firm's systems were hacked at the end of January this year. And Mm. they say in this letter that information you provided to Uber, including your name and social security number and or tax identification number, was among the impacted data. By the way, I I love it when companies say information including the following. It's like, well, could you... you, Is credit card number in there? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows, really? We're not really sure what they've taken, but we do know they've taken these bits. These are the bits Mm -hmm. we're going to tell you about. I'd love it if they were actually a little bit more uh, explicit as to, to what had actually been taken. So <laughs> it, it's something of a worry. And like many of these data breaches, Genova Burns have said to these Uber drivers, it's not Uber customers, by the way, it's Uber drivers whose data. They've said, look, if you're worried about this, we're offering you some complimentary credit monitoring and ID theft protection. What, after, after the breach? Yeah, which isn't unusual, is right, it, right, for right. a company breach to offer something. Say, so look, don't hush, hush, right. hush, hush. Don't worry too much. We're going to protect you. All you've got to do is sign up with this firm <laughs> over here to get your free credit monitoring. We just need a few tiny details. <laughs> we'll, need, we'll need some information to make sure that you're not trying to take advantage, you know, that you are qualified for this free credit monitoring. So they will ask you for, you know, in order to protect you from ID theft uh, and and any sort of dangers like that, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to share some personal details with the, whoa, 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 exactly. And so you end up giving your information to someone else yet again. You can also request a credit freeze and uh, rather than sign up from these services. So you can actually contact the likes of Equifax, Experian or TransUnion Given them your full name, social security number, date of birth, addresses for the past two to five years, proof of your current address, current utility bill, a legible copy of your ID, your driving license. I'm not kidding. No, but All of, of course you're not kidding. But kind of, I think anyone listening right now knows this because they've had to go through this to do yes. anything, to get a credit score, to get insurance, to get a mortgage, anything. So all the time... You're having to pass on your information to yet more people, yep. just like Uber passed on the information about these drivers to this law firm. Now, the interesting question is, why did Uber give the personal data of various Uber drivers 
to this law firm? That is a good question. I have an assumption. Tell me. I was assuming they would do that for their care and welfare, right? Like, so say uh, a passenger mm-hmm. kicks off in a car, they can say, look, Emily was driving the car and she got, you know, punched in the face by some, you know, dweebo. Uh, protector, representer on behalf of Uber. Oh, okay. So you think it's Uber passing on the details because this particular driver is going to be protected by Uber because they got punched in the face or something. Or, that or is whatever, a possibility. Yeah, yeah. What if what if the what if the law firm were was doing vetting of all the drivers, was saying uh-huh. background checks and things like that? Sure. If they're, they're jobbing that out to the law firm. Another possibility. My assumption. Maybe I'm a little bit more cynical than oh, you. you definitely you, both are. of you. <laughs> my, you think? Both of you. Much nicer than me. My thought was maybe it's because Uber is taking some kind of legal action against some of its drivers. And so it said, well, look, here's the list of people we want you to contact and write legal letters to saying, Oi, whatever you're doing or you're, you know, you're breaching our rules or whatever. And so I thought maybe what, what's actually happening is a company is taking action against its contractors or freelancers or however it is Uber likes to describe its drivers, probably not as employees, and sharing those details with its lawyers. Which makes me think, well, hang on, is Uber obliged to tell you, hey, by the way, we're sharing your details with our law firm? Yeah. Which might, of course, raise a flag with you that maybe the law firm was going to take action against you. Mm. I bet it's in the EULA. It's in the EULA. They can do whatever they like. Well, but I'm, I'm saying in, in the EULA, when you sign up to be a driver, I'm sure it says that uh, Uber has the right to share this information with our partners and our contractors mm-hmm. and anyone else we want to. And yeah. if you want to drive for us, you agree to that. Sign here. And yeah. plus, Graham, I don't know if this is true in the UK, and I'm assuming this is true in the States because I've seen it on TV. <laughs> Oh, oh, everything yes. you see on TV is true in the States. <laughs> right. But as I understand it from TV watching, uh-huh. is I, right. which program is this? Bro? I have no idea. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Miami Vice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. That I could take insurance out on, for example, Graham, right? To the tune of like, say, a million, right? And if he happened on his death, I would get paid off. Now, he would need to know what? that I have an insurance claim on his him being alive or dead. You can take out insurance on me without my knowledge. I believe, And you yes. get a payout if I die. Yes. So if I were to take... What? Okay, so I, if I were, again, I told you, I told you it's, it's questionable <laughs> sources. But Joe Biden's <laughs> getting on a bit, right? I suspect mm-hmm. he may not be around in 10, 15 years' time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Can I take out insurance on him and claim? No, but I don't think you'll get very much because he's he's already, uh, right? Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Whereas me, young, strapping, yeah. and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So much life ahead of you. I, yes. I've watched a lot of forensic files, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> you're practically a lawyer. I'm practically a lawyer. Okay, I digress. I'm sorry. Carry on. So I'm wondering, Geneva Burns, this breached law firm mm. working for Uber, I think it may be missing a trick because maybe now it's written to all of these Uber drivers saying, uh, we appear to have lost your data. You never knew that we had it, but we've lost control of it. Maybe they could also have offered to provide legal representation to those affected drivers who may want to sue Uber for entrusting the data to Genova Burns. But they already right. represent, I think there's a conflict of interest there. 
Is there? Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a tiny one. But I saw a TV program, Crow, and it's absolutely <laughs> fine. You can't right. do that. Mm-hmm. Look, <laughs> listeners, tell me if I'm right or wrong, okay? Please. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> right. There are lawyer listeners right now who are furiously banging their heads against their desks. Yes, and emailing me, I hope, to tell me the truth. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> we don't want any American law firms ever listening to this podcast. <laughs> we'll listen to you. <laughs> Dave, what story have you got for us this week? Well, my story is about a a warning that the FBI recently put out. This was uh, on April 6th. FBI's Denver field office put out a message on their social media, and it says, Mm. avoid using free charging stations in airports, hotels, or shopping centers. (sighs) Finally. Bad actors have figured out ways to use public USB ports to introduce malware and monitoring software onto your devices. Carry your own charger and USB cord and use an electrical outlet instead. Now, Ah. let let me ask you about this, because the notion of this has been around for a while, Mm -hmm. right? In fact, um, my understanding is that uh, Brian Krebs was the one who coined the term juice jacking. Did he? Yeah. That's my understanding, and that's, that's what this is called forensic files yeah (laughs) right uh in fact there is a wikipedia page for juice jacking which describes Mm -hmm. this um and the idea is is that as we know usb uh can carry power for charging your device but it can also carry data so you shouldn't plug your device into anything that you don't know what it is that's the sort of the premise here of what's going on and there are uh, devices that are supposed to help with this. There are things called USB condoms. Are you familiar with these? I'm not. <laughs> I find them rather uncomfortable, so I haven't used one myself. But. <laughs> right, right. It charges your device, but it just doesn't feel as good. Um, so a USB condom, basically, uh, you put it in line with your USB cable, and it, it, it disconnects the data connections on a USB cable. So only power can pass between your device and whatever device you've plugged it into. Mm. So it's a little safety measure. Mm -hmm. So there are other things you need to look out for here. This made me think of the, have you guys heard of the OMG cables? I'm pretty sure you covered that here. Yeah. 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 So OMG, um, and I suppose OMG stands for, oh my God, but um, basically it is a cable that looks exactly like a USB cable. Yeah. But Inside of it are electronics to make it a device for snooping on the data that you're transferring over the cable. Uh, and it includes, it, it, it. basically, it spins up a Wi-Fi hotspot so the bad guys can log into the cable and have access to your device. I, even though I'm like pretty security conscious, I would fall for that. Easy peasy. If I went somewhere and mm-hmm. said, does anyone have a cable I can mm. borrow? Oh my God, thank you so much. I would be grateful, right? For the cable. Right. And there would be nothing to tell me that it was Dodge. No. Right. And if anyone's ever worked in a big company and if you leave a USB cable lying around in the break room, it's gone. Five minutes, it's gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Because right? somebody's like, oh, free USB cable, zing, and off they go. Yeah. I'm also curious what you guys think about OMG cables just in terms of should that be a thing? Should the people who are making those cables, do they make enough of a good case that there are legit uses for a cable like that? To have it be in existence. What would be a legit case? They say it's for pen testers, for security yeah. researchers. 
Yeah, it's for researchers who have a job of going <laughs> uh, to companies who've hired them to try and steal data, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, they're it's the like only a, people that use it in the entire universe. Well, the only legitimate purpose, certainly, yeah. So, but in other words, you're kind of saying, should these things be a controlled substance in a way? In a way. Yeah. Or is it even, or just from the folks who are making them, are they hiding behind the ethical statement that we're making this for pen testers, but not really keeping track of who's buying them and where they're going. And and I'm not saying that that's the case. It could be that the folks who make these keep very close track of that. Hmm. But I wonder, I, I don't know the answer to that. And there's a part of me that wonders, is this something that we should be putting out into the world? Yeah. And what about even cars, right? E-cars. Graham will go anywhere, I am sure, with his electric car if he needed a charge, right? If he mm. was desperate, mm-hmm. he would just look on Google Maps, go, where's the closest, you know, charging place? And he would find one, maybe obscurely, because he was desperate. And who? It just, just for clarity, I'm not plugging my car into a USB cable. <laughs> That's not how I'm charging it. Might take, yeah, you know. take a long time to charge your car. <laughs> take a long time. Charge your car. I'm out of here, guys. I had too much chocolate (laughs) Easter. (laughs) So what I'm getting to, though, here, the point of me including this story, because I think most people understand this, have heard this story. It's been around for a long time. There are lots of media outlets who are picking up on this story. I've been seeing over the past 24, 48 hours, this being covered all over the place. FBI says, FBI reminds us, don't, don't plug into... Uh, devices you don't know where they are. And I think most of us agree, okay, that's good advice. But my question was, does it really matter? Is this a thing? Is this a solution in term in, in search of a problem? Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the Wikipedia page for this, they say, to date, there have been no credible recorded cases of juice jacking outside of research efforts. That they know um, of. Sorry, I don't mean to be, oh, but, you know. Well, but iOS and Android both prevent anything bad from happening with Mm. this. Back in the day when you would plug your iPhone in or devices like this, they would mount on your desktop as a hard drive, Mm. right? And so you basically had access to everything on there. Well, it doesn't do that anymore. Your computer doesn't do that anymore. In other words, the, the, the operating systems on your devices all have preventative methods against this sort of thing from taking hold. So my point is, I can't help wondering if this is basically an infosex superstition that mm. doesn't, it just doesn't happen. It's not something you should, it's not realistic that you should worry about this. Is it a best practice? Sure. Is it really going to be a problem? I don't think it is. I don't think there's really much risk of it. I don't mean to get super deep here, but maybe it's not a problem because we worried about it early because people wrote about juice jacking in a place where people went, oh my God, oh my God, that could happen. And then put in protections against it at the source, the phone, the device. Right. I love your approach, Carol. I don't, I, I don't, don't you know what I mean? Right? No, I just don't believe that would be the case. I don't think the general public has got any clue regarding juice jacking. I think no. when I'm at an airport or anything like that, everyone is crowded round where they can actually plug themselves in. And sometimes, sometimes it'll be on a plug, but other times, very often, it will be into a USB port where they've just plugged themselves in desperately for some energy before they get on a plane. Everyone mm-hmm. joins any Wi-Fi as well. Like, yeah, yeah. That, they do. And I, I think so. I don't think it's because oh well, we've been warning people for a while, and that's why there's it's not happening. 
I think Dave might be onto something. I think, and maybe Wikipedia too, that it just doesn't appear to be that much of an issue over lab conditions or where it's being done in maybe in a pen test scenario. Yeah, right. And if you look at the the cases where the bad guys actually take the trouble to modify a device, which is what we're talking about here, they would have mm. to modify a charging station. Where are they doing that? They're doing that with point of sale terminals. They're doing that with ATMs. They're doing that places where there's an opportunity for the direct capture of money. Yeah. And I think a USB port is too much of a roundabout way to try to get money. So so what? I've got access to your device. Maybe. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you have any money. It just, it seems like there are much lower hanging fruit than modifying a USB port on the off chance that you're going to infect someone's device and then have access to their stuff. And then they're going to have something that you want. There's, it's just not worth the effort, I suspect. Mm. So maybe the FBI, they put out this message on Twitter, didn't they? they put out this advisory. So oh, right. avoid using free charging station. Maybe that's because they could encapsulate it within 140 characters or how many characters it is these days. Mm-hmm. And they were just bored with telling people, Use unique passwords. Don't you don't use damn pa- you know, maybe their social media seem like, oh, can we please give people some other piece of advice? Right. For once? Oh, right. here's a USB thing. Let's mention that for a change. Is is that what's happened here? I think it's possible, but I think look, we have a limited amount of attention that we can get from people in the general public when it comes to these security things. And so it's frustrating to see the mainstream media latch on to an announcement like this from the FBI rather Mm. than something like multi-factor authentication or unique passwords or all of the things that we actually are likely to run across in our day-to-day lives that are security related. It just seems a shame to me that we're spending all this time and energy on something that it seems isn't actually a problem. I think maybe they should say avoid using free charging stations in swimming pools, in the rain. <laughs> Bathtubs. The, the, sure. <laughs> yeah, those, uh, avoid using toasters as well mm-hmm. in those scenarios, Right. That'd be a good yeah. piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Something to think about. Crow, what have you got for us this week? Uh, we're playing a game. We are playing a oh, game lovely. because we all know that AI is, what, the mot du jour, as we say in French. Everyone's talking about it, and there's, like, a lot of angles that even tech buffs like us can't keep up. At least I don't feel I can keep up, and that's my working thesis for this episode. So I thought we could test it out through a game called AI a go-go or a no-no. Okay. Okay. Well, the, the name's a winner to start off with. So let's... Uh... I love this idea. Let's play. Okay, there's only one rule, no cheating. So uh, hands off the keyboard. Right, hands off the keyboard. I can't cheat using my AI? No! Oh, okay. okay, so let's, let's start a little easy. How many uh, AI chatbot contenders in the kind of leadership area can you name extra points if you can name the company and the name of their of their ai chat system uh, okay i'll well i'll start off with one which is chat gpt by whom yeah open ai Bing. i believe are the company behind it uh, they have a french equivalent called chat de gpt which is uh, <laughs> an ai enabled cat oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> dave 
Uh, I'm going to go with Bard from Google. Bing! Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe uh, there's a Chinese company which has just come out with one, but it has only a Chinese name. I was reading yes, today. Yes, Alibaba I'm, I'm not, came out with it. Yes, Alibaba. I'm not going to try and say the name, uh, not being Chinese and not wishing to upset anybody. There's also, of course, uh, Microsoft's Bing Chat, right? Oh, yeah, Bing Chat, yeah. Who can forget Microsoft? Um, what's it called? Who Microsoft, can forget? Um, yeah, well, there was there was Tay. Remember Tay? Tay? She, she got retired, but... That was Microsoft's AI chatbot from a few years back. That Clippy, Clippy was Clippy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, which of these that you've mentioned has a privacy policy that promises to protect people's data? Do you think? I think it's a trick question. I suspect none of them. Is that I'm going right? to go with. I'm going to go with all of them if you know where to look. (laughs) Well, the answer I've come up with for my research today is OpenAI. They, inside uh, their privacy policy, says promises to protect people's data. And it's interesting because Italy has just recently banned ChatGPT on privacy grounds. Mm -hmm. But the big worry, of course, is data collection when it comes to chatbots. Uh, Jake Moore, he works at ESET, but he said it really well in the Guardian article. So I'm going to quote him. He says, while the firms behind the chatbot say your data is required to help improve services, it can also be used for targeted advertising. Each time you ask an AI chatbot for help, microcalculations feed the algorithm to, you know, to profile individuals. And uh, the article is saying this is happening. This is happening now. Microsoft already announced that they're exploring the idea of bringing ads to Bing Chat. Uh, also said that Microsoft staff can read users' chatbot conversations. So if I if I broke my leg, for instance, I thought, oh, crumbs, what am I going to do with my broken <laughs> right. leg? And I went to chat GPT because I couldn't get through to the National Health Service. Uh, and, and they'd say, well, you need to, you know, get a bit of wood and sort of tie it to, you know, get a splint and maybe use a bandage. You may want to use bandages from vendors such as, and it includes helpful links. Is is that the kind of advertising it's going to do? Is it and tell me what, what to purchase? This doctor has the best reviews. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question number two. What country has mandated security reviews for AI services like ChatGPT? And I can give you a list of four if you want to choose from that. Mm. So we've got Russia, Cuba, China, and Vietnam. Weird list. Hmm. So what's the question again? What country has mandated security reviews for all AI services like ChatGPT? This this country, to give you a hint, this country's biggest search engine just released ErnieBot, which is Ernie their bot. ErnieBot, which is Ernie their bot. version of Vietnam. <laughs> I was going to guess Vietnam also, just because for no particular fun. reason. Yeah. No, yeah. it's China. Ernie Bot. Ernie Bot. I know. AI services must underpin core socialist values is the big thing. Since their announcement of this this week, stock prices have already fallen for uh, Chinese-based AI tech services. Since you know, which is not necessarily surprising, but there's going to be a number of steps they need to go through to ensure that they're supporting core socialist values. And the reason the list was weird is because I had to look up all the socialist countries. Uh, well, I imagine, yeah. I, so I, I imagine that they, they don't want the bot saying something which is 
off message to the Chinese people. Is that right? Right, right. I, this this is not uh, protecting the consumer's interest. This is con- con- this is protecting. No. <laughs> well, and maybe protecting both because by having no regulation and having this kind of wild west where everyone's trying to compete and get some services out quickly is making some people nervous. I don't know. I'm nervous about it. I don't know about you guys, but. Hmm. Come on, we're almost done here. Question three. What professions do we think will not be replaced by AI? Podcaster. Really? Definitely not. No, no, podcasters are safe. Podcasters are going to carry on. Yep, no, no, we're from there. Do you think politicians? There was this article I read, Mm -hmm. right? Link in the show notes about these are the jobs that will definitely not be impacted, right? Or, you know, be replaced by politicians. AI can't be that dumb. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I, I find that I can imagine actually that happening and people loving that, you know, machine versus person. Hmm. Psychologist or shrink? No, we've been, I mean, Eliza's been doing that for decades. Right. And yeah. also there's loads of them right. out there already. Exactly. Uh, what about priests, spiritual figures, things like that? I think that could be same thing. It's same thing as, yeah, that, that's sure. Yeah. That's easy. Surely, surely your typical priest just says five Hail Marys and you'll be fine, son. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? I mean, isn't that what they do? So you can just give an automatic response. You definitely could do that with a robot. Totally. What about athletes? Like, how is an AI going to... How, so we're talking robots? Well, say there was a basketball game. Yeah. Would you watch a basketball game with two robot teams? Sure. I'd watch it right. once. Yeah, I'd watch it right. once. In this article, they intimated <laughs> that this would not be any fun for any of us. And I'm like, I don't know. Which brought me to my pick of the week, Graham. You probably will guess on the way. but mm. I think if you were able to give the different bots personalities, because part of the reason I think we enjoy sport is is the personalities and different capabilities of the different athletes. So if you had all you know, a basketball game with five different copies of the same or 10 version, 10, 10 robots that were all capable of the same thing. That wouldn't be very exciting. Built but. by different teams of different countries. Yeah. There are tennis players who are a bit like robots anyway. I remember <laughs> the days of Bjorn Borg and <laughs> it was all exciting mm-hmm. tennis then. And then, and then they replace them. These just these people who just hit ball like this very fast. You know, it's like oh god, such so dull now. So I don't think AI sports would be hmm. that interesting. I'm thinking of maybe like in the movie Pacific Rim, where you had the giant robots and they they had the characteristics of their home nations. That that might be interesting. <laughs> okay, finally, what about uh, lawyers and judges? Would you have a robot lawyer argue for you? I think uh, certainly law clerks and law researchers are are in danger here. But I don't know about the actual lawyers, because that, I believe, requires a certain amount of creativity. Surely they're largely just Googling past cases anyway and referring to them. I I suppose it also depends on what kind of law it is. Yes. There's law and there's law. So... I don't know, land use law might be easier to rely on some kind of AI than, say, a murder trial. If you were like a clerk or something having to do research, you could use something like ChatGPT to find like, uh, you know, precedents or similar judgments, relevant cases, right? Yeah, but, oh, but 
But, yeah. Carol, all these AI systems, all they're doing is scooping up drivel that people have posted on the internet before, which may be complete bollocks. Interesting. Do we, do we really want them doing that? Interesting, because a lawyer did this, right? Uh-huh. Lawyer went ahead and ChatGPT spewed out cases fully cited with reference mm. numbers and case notes. Right. Okay. And uh, this was in New Zealand, and they asked ChatGPT for help, and it was all made up. It made it look completely bona fide legit because it had studied, you know, it nailed how to display a case name and do the citations, and the cases didn't even exist. They created it with case notes and everything, just to help out is the argument right. some people are using. Wow. Mm-hmm. But it gets worse when in the States this happened as well, and a lawyer reportedly asked AI chatbot to generate a list of legal scholars who had committed sexual harassment as part of a study. So he was just seeing how it's going to go. And he did provide a list. And on the list was an American law professor from George Washington University. And it said that this professor made sexually suggestive comments and attempted to touch his students inappropriately during a class trip to Alaska. And the accusation was based on an article on the Washington Post. However, the professor and the Washington Post both confirmed the article never existed. Right. That's freaking scary. Shameless plug here. This is uh, an article Ben Yellen and I dig into in in, uh, our most recent caveat episode. And I agree. uh, This is scary. And who's liable here? When ChatGPT makes something up uh, that is defamatory and, and creates references out of whole cloth um, and presents it as fact. Yeah. In my conversation with Ben Yellen, who is actually a lawyer, um, not unlike you, Carol, who has watched several episodes of law and order. um, (laughs) He says that uh, in his opinion, that the legal system just is struggling to keep up with this, that it is not prepared for this sort of thing. And so we have a interesting road ahead of us. Okay, we'll put the link to the show in the show notes, of course. Um, uh, And based on the quiz, uh, David, you definitely win. (laughs) Oh, for God's sake. Seriously, why? Because I'm keeping my glorious guest happy as a clam. That's why. There you go. I win a free membership to ChatGPT. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is sponsored by HCAPTCHA. Are cyber threats negatively impacting your business? Unleash powerful fraud protection for your online properties with HCAPTCHA Enterprise, the leading security ML platform. HCAPTCHA adapts to detect and block even the most sophisticated attacks, keeping you ahead of evolving threats. Whether your bad actors are human or automated, HCAPTCHA Private Learning is the solution. Easily combine your pre-blinded data with HCAPTCHA's thousands of signals to rapidly find fraud and abuse in real time. HCAPTCHA's privacy-focused design works in every country, giving you worry-free compliance. Visit smashingsecurity.com slash HCAPTCHA. That's H-C-A-P-T-C-H-A to get started with a free trial today. And thanks to HCAPTCHA for sponsoring the show. 
Our friends at Bitwarden have been busy this month adding some fab new features to their open source password management solution. Now, did you know that you can log into Bitwarden using a secondary device instead of your master password? Well, now you do. <laughs> Logging in with a device is a passwordless approach to authentication. It removes the need to enter your master password by sending authentication requests to other devices you're currently logged into for approval. With login for device, it can be initiated on the web vault, browser extension, desktop app, mobile app, and you can approve access on your mobile and desktop app version of Bitwarden. Very, very cool. And the Bitwarden team has hardened the security of its vaults, protecting new vaults with 600,000 iterations by default. And of course, existing accounts can also update themselves to the same level. These and many other great security features are incorporated all the time into Bitwarden, keeping your password secure from hackers. Learn more, try Bitwarden for yourself at bitwarden.com slash smashing. That's bitwarden.com slash smashing. Our sponsor Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, then you can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How? If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Insecure devices are logging into your company's apps, but there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agents detect a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Want to learn more? Of course you do. Visit collide.com slash smashing. That's collide.com slash smashing. And thanks to Collide for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favorite part of the show? The part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better, Better not be. Well, <laughs> <laughs> my Pick of the Week this week is not security related. I have been playing board games. And you've all played Trivial Pursuit, I'm sure, over the years. Came out in the, I don't know, 80s, 90s, -hmm. whenever it came out. Yep. Now, what did the Trivial Pursuit guys come up with next, you're wondering? They made that incredible game, which sold a gazillion copies. Well, what they came up with was an extraordinarily complicated and unsuccessful game (laughs) called Ubi. Ubi? Like UBI? UBI, which I think is Latin for where or something. Oh, my wife had a UBI once, but she took some pills and it went away. <laughs> oh my God. Ubi is, it's a bizarre game. It's not very well known. I played it this weekend. It is a geography trivia game. You have this giant map of the world. You have coordinates everywhere and you have lots and lots of cards with cryptic, irritatingly rhyming or just obtuse 
questions. Way to sell so- it, Graham. <laughs> if they brought it out now, people would think it was something to do with the Illuminati. You're building this sort of pyramid with a big eye in the middle. Those are your pieces. There's all kinds of terminology for the different. It's actually not that complicated once you start playing and work it out. It is a bit tricky. Did you enjoy it? I, I did actually enjoy it. And I would play it again. It's a bit of. Did you fall asleep? I didn't fall asleep. It's a good trivia game. It's based on geography. You will be somewhat frustrated. Between two and 26 people can play it at the same time. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh you and 26 of your closest friends <laughs> gather around a board. It's like better than the Knights of the Round Table. This is exciting. It does say things like, you know, Ubi Bob Newhart's psychiatric couch crouch, which means where is Bob Newhart's psychiatric couch? Chicago. So if you were. Okay. Right. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. All right. So you know it's Chicago, Dave. Right. And maybe you can do this, but as Brits, maybe we couldn't. You then have to take your little Ubi locator thing onto the map and work out where Ubi is on the map. So where Chicago is on the map. So Ubi is a verb to Ubi. So to Ubi is to place my thing on Let's, the board. Well, let, let, I, if you like. <laughs> yes. But this is one it, of the worst <laughs> pick of the week descriptions I've ever heard in my is, life. And yet the I answer, can't take my eyes away from it. The answer <laughs> is not to say Chicago. The answer is to be able to say with precision where Chicago is on the world map. And Chicago might be easier than, for instance, Buckfast Abbey in Devon, which was the answer to one of the other questions which I did this weekend. So that is the game of Ubi. I'll put some links in the show notes where anyone who really likes board games can check it out. I picked up my copy from eBay and I had some fun with it. And that is why Ubi is my pick of the week. Wow. Did you buy this for someone as a gift and they just said, actually, thanks, but no thanks? No, it got, then, it got re-gifted from someone else to him. <laughs> it got <Yeah>. re-gifted. <laughs> Ubi, we put the board in I board don't games. want it. Just yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to ignore you. Dave, what's your pick of the week? So my pick of the week, actually, I put in here just for you, Graham. Uh, I was yeah. watching, uh, there's a gent on YouTube named Rick Beato who people may be familiar with. He's well-known for uh, his expertise in music theory. Um, He has a series called What Makes This Song Great, where he goes through popular songs and sort of reverse engineers them and explains why they are great. Um, Again, using his knowledge of of music theory, which is extensive, but he's also a good explainer. He's brilliant. I've seen some of those videos. I think actually one of those videos may have been a pick of the week in the past. He's really good at analyzing songs and explaining why they're good. Right. I'm wondering if it's Dave that brought it to our show. Could be. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> but he's, he's he's certainly he's certainly very good. Yeah, and and his channel has really taken off and and to the point where uh big time artists like uh well, one that I know is a favorite of both you and Carol Sting uh, <laughs> has appeared with him uh in interviews to promote their albums as they come out. They will stop by and do an interview with Rick Beato to to promote their their new music. Um, so as a channel, it's it's quite interesting. If you're into music, it's definitely worth a look. But he recently did a tour of Abbey Road Studios and specifically Studio Two, uh-huh. which is where uh, evidently some a well known band from the '60s and early '70s 
recorded some of their more well-known albums there. Yes, the Osmonds. Uh, I can't yeah, recall who. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So it's sort of a magical place, magical, mysterious place, I guess. But it's really neat to see them walk around and just sort of offhandedly say, oh, yeah, that's the piano uh, from uh, Fool on the Hill. You know, like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. the, you know, the, that's the microphone that, uh, oh, but Paul McCartney, we recorded in this closet because he liked the sound of it, you know, that that sort of thing. So if you are at all into the Beatles or recording or popular music, uh, it's worth a look. And uh, that is why Rick Beato's tour of Studio Two at Abbey Road Studios is my pick of the week. Wonderful. I did see that you were choosing this, Dave, and I, I've checked out the video and it's very enjoyable. I agree. I was lucky enough to go and visit Abbey Road Studios back in 2021 because they mm. were doing a rare public tour. Anyway, brilliant. Very, very cool. OK, Carol, what's your pick of the week? So when I was doing my little quiz research, right, uh, I mentioned athletes. We were talking about athletes and that they never be oh, yeah. threatened by machine fighting. Mm hmm. And it brought me back to a show that I first saw in the UK when I first moved here. And I checked our pick of the week list, and it seems it's never been mentioned before. Right. Machines fighting, Graham. Do you mean robot wars? Is that what you're thinking of? Yes. Robot wars, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. It's the best show ever. Is it? I loved, I love <laughs> robot wars. Like, I Better love Better than it. Law and Order, really? <laughs> better better hands down okay. i'm not kidding okay listeners okay so basically you have teams each team builds like a, the craziest most violently designed machine with wheels so they'll have like angle grinders and axes and flamethrowers and they they roll around really fast they're all like you know um like what do you call them radio frequency cars what are they called yeah like little rc cars yeah Remote control cars. RC cars, yeah, 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 remote control, yeah. And they fight it out. You, and you make this beautiful art, that you know, this machine of, like, destruction. Then you have to send them into the ring of battle. And they can get destroyed. Mm -hmm. And it's riveting. Like, there's drama. There's tech. There's <laughs> violence. There's destruction. Everything Something for everyone. Did you not like it, Graham? What? No, no, I, I like I like some of it. I mean, this was a British show, wasn't it? There must be an American version of this as well. I'm not talking about the American blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Who gives a I damn think, about that? I think the American <laughs> version was the original. Uh, we no way. Robot Wars and no. BattleBots are the two franchises that I'm aware of here in the U.S. Because if a show's worth doing once, it's worth doing twice. Uh, and I believe, I, and may perhaps it's just my own um, uh, prejudices, but I am pretty sure that it originated here. Uh, but who knows? I could be wrong. Right. I have just been on ChatGPT and I've asked <laughs> Robot Wars UK started in 1998. It looks like Robot Wars began in US on Nickelodeon on 2002. So once again, the British were ahead. Thank you very much. No, 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 Chat no, 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 GPT. No, 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 no. Listeners, if you have never heard of it and you're not going to be a know-it-all, okay, it's the best stress relief TV I've ever experienced to date. I love it. I want it to come back on air just as it was in the UK version.
All right, Graham. Graham. Oh, hang on, hang on. Oh, Dave's, Graham. Coming. Dave's coming in. I'm on the Wikipedia <laughs> yes. for BattleBots, and it says BattleBots. Who mentioned Battle- oh. Shut up, Graham. It says BattleBots <laughs> is an American robot combat television series. The show was an adaptation of the American Robot Wars competitions hosted in the mid to late 1990s by Mark Thorpe. The same competition inspired the British TV program Robot Wars, <laughs> which acquired the name in 1995. Game Set and match. Where's your set? Where's your citations? I'll send you the link. Just go to go to Wikipedia and look up <laughs> BattleBots. <laughs> oh, Wikipedia. Okay, yeah, no, yeah, that's. Fine. I'm editing the Wikipedia page now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. This will not stand. This injustice will not stand. Get the embassy on the line, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I'm stressed. I'm going to go watch some Robot Wars after this show. <laughs> if you need some stress mm-hmm. relief and some just some fun, punch it up without getting violent yourself. It's mm-hmm. great. So my pick of the week, Robot Wars. It's the uh, BBC uh, YouTube channel. There's a link in the show notes. Enjoy. Well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Dave, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would like to send you a little private message regarding some of the issues which come up during the course of this podcast. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Just go to thecyberwire.com and you can find everything that I do there. Yeah, so set your bots against (laughs) cyberwire.com. Your battle bots, right. Right. I'll be careful when I open the office door that there'll be a battle bot on the other side of it waving a a British flag. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter and last have a G. We also have a Mastodon account. Easiest way to find it is going to smashinsecurity.com slash Mastodon. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favorite podcast apps such as Overcast and Spotify. And huge, huge thank you to this episode's sponsors, Collide, HCAPTCHA, and Bitwarden, and of course to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of more than 316 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, bots. I sent it to Dave like an hour earlier. Did you get to see it? Did you look? Yes. I love it. I love Robot Wars. Oh, you do? Oh, oh that I didn't love come it. across. Yes. That didn't come across in, the, in my bit, actually. Oh, I <laughs> no, love it. It's all BattleBots this, BattleBots that. BattleBots is the best. <laughs> Sorry. We were, just, we were all just caught up in being provincial. But no, I love I think it's It's wonderfully entertaining. I hope yes. one day we meet in person, and that's what I would like to do. I would like Dave to go with you. Beat the snot out of each no, other. No, I want I want us to go to one of these shows and watch machines destroy themselves. Oh, okay. that's what I would like well, to do. That sounds like a lot of carries fun. on as it is, Crow. That's that's going to be happening everywhere. <laughs> Skynet is coming. <laughs> <laughs>